All right, the, uh, the section of uh, God's Word that we'll be reading from this morning is Luke chapter 7, verses 18 through 35. I'll give you just a moment to turn there if you have your Bibles. <clears throat> All right, starting in verse 18. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you and more than a prophet. This is he, <clears throat> excuse me, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. To what then shall I com compare the people of this generation, and what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet, wisdom is justified by all her children. This sends the reading of God's word. Let's take a moment to pray and then we can be seated. Glorious Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. Father, needy. God, just in need to hear from you. Father, I confess my need for you right now. God, I just pray that you would fill each one of us with your spirit, God, that you would open our minds to be able to understand this word, God, that we need so desperately this morning. Father, I pray that you would illumine your word right now so that we 
um, would just be able to um, just understand it, Father, that we would be able to plant it deep within our hearts, God, and that, Father, that we can take this word and, and apply it to our lives, Father. We love you, God, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> well, good morning once again, church. All right, just want to uh, just, just let you know that I, I am truly humbled uh, to be here uh, and I just want, want you to know what, um, just what a, an honor and a privilege I consider it to be, to be able to stand before you this morning and open up God's word and share God's word with you. Uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity. I'm also grateful for, grateful for you, Pastor Travis, uh, and uh, for your pastor this morning, not only for his friendship, uh, but also just to know that there is a faithful man of God like him here leading this uh, wonderful church. Um, he's been such a tremendous blessing to me in the short time that I've known him, and I know that he's a blessing to this church as well. Amen? Amen. All right. Uh, well, as we approach this passage this morning, it is important for you to know that John is in prison. And Luke actually goes out of his way to tell us this in Luke chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. Luke says, For all the evil things that Herod had done, he added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. And Jesus has already performed many miracles. He healed Peter's mother-in-law in chapter 4. He, he healed the, the paralytic who was lowered through the roof in chapter 5. And now in this chapter, he healed a Roman soldier's servant from a distance who was on the verge of death by simply speaking a word. And then he interrupted a funeral procession and he actually raised a widow's son from the dead. And all of these things are now being reported to John in prison. John the Baptist was that final Old Testament prophet who was given the privilege of announcing the coming of the Messiah. And when John saw Jesus, he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All of the nations of the earth were going to be blessed through this person, the seed of Abraham, the Messiah, this mighty Savior who would usher in the kingdom of God and restore righteousness on the earth. And as we read this morning in Isaiah chapter 40, justice and glory would accompany the Messiah when he came. You remember we read every, uh, every valley would be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, and the glory of the Lord would be revealed and all the people would see it together. The son of David would rule and reign with a rod of iron and he would dash his enemies to pieces like a potter's vessel and to his kingdom there would be no end. And John's entire purpose for being born was to prepare the way for this Messiah. And John was that final Old Testament prophet to come before the arrogant and evildoers would be consumed like stubble in a burning oven on that great day of God's vengeance, on the day of the Lord. But for those who fear his name, the son of righteousness would rise with healing in his wings and the righteous would tread on the wicked like ashes under their feet." John was faithful, John was bold, and John had the great privilege of announcing this great one whom he had seen with his own eyes, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as John looked around at the wicked generation of obstinate unbelief that he had been sent to, he, you could say that he expected two things that when the Messiah came. Uh, and this may be a simple way to look at it, but I think it's right. First of all, he expected salvation for the righteous. And secondly, he expected judgment for the wicked. And you can actually hear this in his preaching. He says, I baptize with you with water, 
but the one who's coming after me will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, right? That's salvation. And with fire, that's judgment. He says the wheat he will gather into his barn. That's a good thing. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So you can hear the themes of salvation and judgment that John was expecting. All of this he was expecting from scripture. The problem is, is that in the passage that we just read, John doesn't see Jesus bringing judgment. Instead, John finds himself sitting behind the walls of a prison, not because he had done anything wrong, but because he took a bold stand against a wicked tyrant of a petty king named Herod. Herod was one who blatantly disregarded the laws of God, and yet, as this righteous preaching prophet John sits behind the walls of a prison, this wicked king is sitting in the halls of a palace exalted as royalty. Something wasn't right. You see, John's expectations were not matching his experience. And John is beginning to have serious doubts about Jesus. He's beginning to wonder if he was right to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, this one who would bring salvation and judgment. And to say that John was discouraged was an understatement. And John is not going to make it out of prison alive. John is in a place right now of deep, deep despair. Now church, if we don't understand who John is and the tremendous injustice that he is currently suffering at the hands of a wicked ruler and what he expected from the Messiah when he came, then we will never understand this passage. Some of you know who Johnny Erickson Tata is. If you know who Johnny Erickson Tata is, just raise your hand. Yeah, I, th I thought most of you would. Um, but Johnny is, a, just for those of you who don't, she's a Christian author. She's written more than 50 books. Um, she uh, produces a daily radio show, and she has for the past 35 years, and she hosts a television show called Johnny and Friends. Let me just tell you a little bit, a bit about Johnny. Uh, as a child, Johnny accepted Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior, and like most children, Johnny lived a very active life. She enjoyed hiking and tennis and swimming. But on July 30th, 1967, tragedy struck Johnny's life when she dove into the Chesapeake Bay and misjudged the shallowness of the water. She suffered two fractured vertebrae in her neck. And on that day, Johnny became a quadriplegic. Her life was forever changed. And uh, Johnny, for the next two years, had to spend day after agonizing day in rehabilitation and during this time, she, 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 began to have, um, she began to have tremendous anger over her circumstance. She began to experience depression. She contemplated suicide, and she began to have religious doubts. And the pain and the discomfort that she was experiencing was unimaginable. And when she was finally able to leave the hospital as a quadriplegic, Johnny moved in with her sister. And people would always come over to her sister's house and ask her if they could read the Bible to her, and she would say yes, and she always wanted them to read from John chapter 5. You know the story. It's the story of Jesus healing the man at the pool of Bethesda who had been paralyzed for 38 years. And the story seems so simple. Jesus simply asked the man if he wanted to be healed. The man just said yes. And so Jesus commanded him, rise, take up your mat, and walk, and the Bible actually says that in that moment, at once it says, 
he was healed. He picked up his mat and walked. And Johnny wanted so desperately to be healed like that by Jesus. And she would pray and sing hymns to Jesus. And these were the words. She would say, hear my humble cry. Jesus, do not pass me by. Her prayers, though, seemed to go unanswered. Jesus would not heal her. And Johnny began to say, and I quote, she would say, what kind of a savior would refuse the cry of a paralytic like me? And Johnny began to grow bitter and disillusioned. Jesus, the healer, the one who healed so many, the one who promised to never leave her and never forsake her, seemed so far and so distant. And it was in those difficult times that Johnny began to have serious doubts about Jesus because, and here's why. Because what Johnny Erickson Tata expected from the Jesus of the Bible didn't match her experience. And this is where John the Baptist is at right now, although in a very different way. Now, Johnny Erickson Tata is one of the greatest Christians of our generation, and I don't think it's wrong to have categories in our mind of greatness for certain Christians. I mean, Jesus says of John the Baptist, he says he is the greatest, right? But one of the things that this passage is going to teach us this morning is that even great believers struggle with their faith. So my question to you this morning is, what do you do when you have doubts? What do you do when you struggle in your faith? Let's see what John the Baptist does because there is a huge lesson for us here and what John does in the midst of his doubt. Again, verse 18 opens. John is sitting in prison. He's hearing about all of these things that Jesus is doing and these acts of mercy. So John devises a plan to send two of his disciples to Jesus and ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we look for someone else? Now, church, I just want you to know something this morning. This is not skepticism. This is not willful, rank unbelief. This is the doubting of a genuine believer. And in John's struggle, he takes his doubt directly to Jesus. In fact, let's make that point number one this morning. When you begin to struggle, take your doubts to Jesus. And the way to know for sure whether or not Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the coming one, is to go back to Scripture and examine his person and work. It's what we do when we come to Christ, and it's what we may need to do again when we begin to have doubts. It's what we should always do when God fails to meet our expectations and whenever we are overwhelmed by our personal problems and whenever we're plagued with doubt. We need to go back to Jesus and look again to see who he is and what he has done in Scripture. And that may seem a little scary. I mean, it may seem scary to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm having my doubts right now. I mean, how is Jesus going to respond to a believer who seems to be lacking in faith? Well, I love how Jesus answers their question. Look at verses 21 through 23. Jesus doesn't say anything to John's disciples at first. It's like he just says, hold on for one second, guys. I hear your question, but just stand right over here for just a minute and just watch and listen. And then instead of Jesus just giving John's disciples a message to give him, Jesus powerfully responds by demonstrating from Scripture that he is the one who was to come. He is the one who John was expecting. Verse 21 says, In that very hour, he healed many people 
of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. I love that. Only then does Jesus turn to John's disciples, and what does he do? He starts quoting scripture from the Old Testament concerning his person and work from Isaiah chapter 35, verse 5, and Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. And then here's what Jesus has to say. He says, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. You see, John had already heard all of the things that Jesus was doing, right? He heard all of these things. They were being reported to him in prison. But Jesus is so gracious and so kind to believers who are doubting in their faith that he actually demonstrates in front of their eyes that he was the Messiah. So he says, go back and tell John what you have seen now and heard. And then quoting scripture, he says this, quoting, he says, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the good news preached to them. And these verses were clearly about who the Messiah was going to be from the Old Testament. And they showed John that Jesus is doing exactly what the Messiah was supposed to do when he came. Now, it's also interesting what Jesus didn't say, right? Jesus did not quote the entire passage from Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. If he were to continue quoting, here's what he would have said, okay? He did say this. He said, the poor have the good news preached to them. But if he was going to continue, he would have said, um, the poor have the good news preached to them. Freedom is being proclaimed to the captives. Remember, John is in prison. The prisoners are being released from darkness, and the day of God's vengeance has come. And Jesus did not say that. You see, in a way, John was right. If Jesus came to set the captives free, then why was righteous John still sitting in prison, and why wasn't he avenging wicked Herod, who was still living in luxury inside of a palace? You see, John doesn't understand this. John is frustrated. John can't believe what's happening. There's an element of scandal for John that Jesus isn't doing what he thinks he should be doing. And that's why Jesus says what he says next. Instead of finishing Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2, Jesus says to tell John this, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And we read this word offended in English, but in the Greek, it's actually skandalizo. It's, it's where we get the English word scandal. That's where we get our word scandal from. The idea here is that, the, is that a person is losing confidence in Jesus as the coming one or as the Messiah because he stumbles or he is offended or he is scandalized at the kinds of things that Jesus either does or doesn't do. And so what Jesus very lovingly says to John, he says to each one of us this morning. Now listen, I don't know what kind of a year you have just had. It's the two, year 2018 is coming to an end. You, you may have, have, have had a very difficult year. You, you may have had a loved one who's passed away. You may, you may have a family member who, who has been diagnosed with a, an illness that is going to lead to death. You may not understand right now, just having passed Christmas, how a baby in a manger really makes any difference in the real world one week after Christmas. But let me tell you this. Jesus is very lovingly saying this. He's very lovingly saying that John needed to believe what Jesus had already done in fulfillment of his word until he could come to understand what Jesus was doing in his life. 
And you know something, church? That's what you have to do too. Just because Jesus doesn't do what you think that he should be doing, that doesn't mean that he is not doing something significant in your life. Now listen, it's fair. in order for Jesus to accomplish all that John had hoped for, Jesus would first have to go to the cross and die. You see, Jesus came the first time to deal with the sin problem that we have with the holy God. And he came as the Lamb of God the first time who would come to take the sin of the world away. And scripture teaches very clearly that Jesus is coming back a second time to fulfill every promise of judgment that John expected. But not as a lamb this time, but as a conquering king. But you see, John didn't understand that. So Jesus, what he does is he sends John back to the scriptures in order for him to gain a deeper and lasting faith in him. Remember Johnny Erickson Tata? I started telling you about her. When Johnny was in such deep despair over her circumstances, she would lay in the darkness by her room and she eventually said these words. She said, if Jesus won't hear the cry of a paralytic like me, she said, then I'm not going to do this anymore. But as time went on, even in the darkness, she would sing hymns to Jesus and then one day, by God's grace, She picked up her Bible again and she began reading, but this time from the book of Mark. Again, Jesus, of course, was healing many people. But one morning, Jesus rose early to pray and Peter went out looking for Jesus because the people in the town wanted him to continue his healing ministry to them. But in Mark 138, here's what Jesus said. Here's his response. He says, let's go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. And then he says, that, um, that is why I have come. You see, in that moment, Jesus met Johnny where she was at. And in that moment, Johnny realized that the forgiveness of sins was the greater miracle. And the reason that Jesus come, came was to preach the good news of the kingdom of God and to lay down his life so our sins could be forgiven and we could enter the kingdom of God. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. What a faithful friend we have in Jesus. You know, I mean, this is, this is, a, this is one of the ways that, the, that, that this passage describes Jesus. This passage, passage actually calls Jesus a friend of sinners. And of course, the Pharisees meant that as, as a cut down, right? And, and of course, it's true, but it's not true in the way that they meant it. Jesus truly is a friend of sinners, In fact, the reason why we should take our doubts to Jesus is because, point number two, Jesus is the friend of sinners. Verses 24 through 28, uh, Jesus turns to the crowd now and begins to talk about John. Now, I just want you to know, Jesus did not have to do this because John's disciples are gone already. But Jesus is such a faithful friend, he talks and he has something to say about John even whenever John was never gonna hear it. And here's what he said. He says, no one is greater than John the Baptist. I mean, this is not the kind of response I would have expected, right? I mean, there is something here that should be so precious to our hearts, church. John 3.29, John the Baptist calls himself the friend of the bridegroom. And now Jesus advocates on behalf of his friend and he proves that he is the friend of John the Baptist. It really is a beautiful thing to, ta- uh, to hear Jesus take up John's cause and defend John. Uh, John wasn't always in prison. 
At one time, John exercised a very popular ministry. People would actually flock to Jesus because they wanted to hear him preach. They believed that he was a prophet of God. And now, John's never gonna make it out of prison alive. But Jesus has some things to say about his friend. I love what J.C. Ryle says in his commentary on this passage. At one time, John may have been very popular, but now, Ryle says, John was an obscure prisoner in Herod's hands, deserted, friendless, and with nothing before him but death. But the lack of man's favor is no proof that God is displeased. John the Baptist had one friend who never failed him and never forsook him, a friend whose kindness did not ebb and flow like John's popularity, but was always the same. That friend was our Lord Jesus Christ. Others may have forgotten about John, but John promises to never leave us and never forsake us. Um, Jesus was the best friend that John ever had. And church, I'd just like to tell you this morning that Jesus will be that very friend to you, especially I want to speak right now to, to those who may be a doubting believer in this room. If something has gone wrong in your life and you don't understand what Jesus is doing in your life, I just want you to know that that is the kind of friend that Jesus will be to you this very morning. Listen to, the way that, listen to the way that John, excuse me, listen to the way that Jesus advocates um, on John's behalf. Verse 24 says, when John's messengers had gone, <clears throat> Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? He's, Jesus is like, what did you guys go out to see? A flimsy bush blown around in the breeze? What did you think? What did you think John was just gonna get up there and say whatever you wanted him to say? Whatever the winds of p- political opinion, whatever direction they were blowing, you thought that's what John was gonna say? No, not John. John was a pillar. John was an oak planted by a tree of water, and John didn't bend to the winds of culture. John's message was a faithful message. It wasn't a reed blown by the wind, but if you thought he would be, then maybe you also thought that he would just be a man dressed in soft clothing, living in luxury inside of a king's court. But people people wearing soft clothing lives in palaces. They don't live in king's dungeons. John was so far from being like the religious leaders of his day that the camel's hair coat that he wore was probably the roughest clothing that you could possibly wear. And that wasn't John. He says, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, now, quoting a prophecy from Micah chapter 3, 400 years prior, he says, this, this scripture is talking about John the Baptist. He said, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare the way before you. John was a prophet of prophets. He was a prophet prophesied, and he was sent to prepare the way for the Messiah. He preached the best message, which was, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then Jesus says these amazing words. He says, I tell you, among those born of women, who does that include, by the way? Those born of women? Talk to me, someone. Who does that include? Everyone? Okay. So among those born of women, none is greater than John. Can you believe these kind and generous words toward this doubting believer? Oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. And you know, the amazing thing is after affirming that John was the greatest prophet that ever lived, he then says these amazing words. He says, the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he is. Think about that. What a blessed thing for Jesus to say about you and me. I mean, is it true? How how can we possibly be greater than John the Baptist? 
Let me illustrate it like this. The least at Providence Reformed Church is greater than Thomas Edison. Yep, that's right. Thomas Edison, I know he invented the monograph, which records sound. He invented the motion picture camera. He invented the light bulb. And I'm pretty sure that we all listen to recorded music, we all watch movies, and we happen to be sitting in a room right now that is full of light. Thomas Edison could only dream of such a world. He could only anticipate such a world. And John the Baptist was a prophet. In fact, he was the very last Old Testament prophet. I heard R.C. Sproul say uh, that he used to ask his incoming seminary students who the greatest Old Testament prophet was, and they would say uh, Moses, or they would say Elijah. But of course, it's a trick question. The answer is that it was John the Baptist. You see, in times past and in many ways, God spoke through the prophets, and these great prophets spoke about a time yet future to them when all that was in the New Testament would take place. These great prophets, Moses, Elijah, Isaiah, all of them were, were filled with the Spirit of Christ and they were anticipating the grace that is now ours in Christ. And John was the very last one. You see, the gospel was in the Old Testament. Jesus was in the Old Testament. And B.B. Warfield said that the Old Testament is a room full of furniture, but dimly lit. The Spirit of Christ was in these Old Testament prophets, but now the fullness of revelation has come in Christ himself. You see, John was the greatest in the line of Old Testament anticipation, but now something John could only anticipate is a reality for us. We have crossed the threshold, so to speak, Right? The light has been switched on in the fully furnished room and now the least believer in the kingdom of God has greater light and greater privilege and greater responsibility than even John the Baptist had. God has spoken to us. Not through Moses, not through Elijah, not even through the greatest of, of the prophets, John the Baptist. But in these last days, God has spoken to us through his son. In the past, God would speak to his people through a particular prophet, but now Christ speaks directly to his people through his Holy Spirit. And that is the promise of the new covenant, right? Jeremiah 31 says, No longer shall they say, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. What blessing, what privilege, what an honor. And if Jesus showed such great honor to the one who merely announced the kingdom, then how much more honor will God show the, uh, the, one who, the ones who serve him as citizens of the kingdom? In John 12, 26, it says, have you read the scripture, by the way? This is an amazing scripture. It says, my father will honor the one who serves me. Wow. And I can't help but try to imagine what honor God will show us if we will trust in Jesus even when it is difficult and remain faithful to his word. Now, can I just tell you this morning, church? I think that that is what this passage is all about. Trusting in Jesus, even when it is difficult, brings the blessing of citizenship in the kingdom of God. Amen. But if we ever hope to attain the blessing of citizenship in God's kingdom, we must make sure that we respond rightly to the good news of the kingdom. Point number three, respond rightly to the good news of the kingdom. 
Luke tells us that some people responded rightly to the message of the kingdom that John preached, and it wasn't necessarily who you would expect. Luke actually goes out of his way to tell us that the tax collectors of all people rejoiced when they heard what Jesus had to say about John. And if if you know uh, how, how the first century Jews felt about the tax collectors, they believed that they were the worst of all sinners, that they, they, were, they were worse than, than the most notorious sinner that you can think of because not only were they great sinners, but they were sellouts to their people. And Luke is actually telling us that the people he, who you would expect least to rejoice at what Jesus had to say about John, the tax collectors were actually in that crowd. Look at verse 29 and 30. It says, when all the people heard this, and you have to sort of say this with a laugh in your voice, when all the people heard this, <laughs> and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. You see, the sinners and the tax collectors heard John's message of repentance and they agreed with John. They said, yes, John, you are right. I am a sinner. I have a need before a holy God. Let me repent and let me be baptized. And John was sent to prepare the hearts of the people and turn them back to God. But the religious leaders, right, those people who you might expect to, uh, to rejoice at the affirmation of Yahweh's greatest prophet, right, John the Baptist, the Bible says that they actually rejected God's purpose for themselves because they didn't receive John and they didn't receive Jesus. And I just want to say this morning, church, that, that the danger is so real for each one of us, right? The human heart, the Bible describes it, it says that it is desperately wicked. And if left unchecked, you know, it, it is possible for our hearts to become critical. We can, we can have a critical spirit, and we can even become critical to the things of God. And so we need to wake up each morning and just, just have a, a, a conscious need uh, to renew our repentance and our faith in Jesus Christ as the Savior. Amen? Amen. So Jesus turns to the crowd, and he tells a parable. He says, in verse 32, he says, "'To what shall I compare the people of this generation?' And what are they like? Now listen, Jesus has just said, what shall I compare John to? Right? Is he a reed blowing in the wind? No, he's not any of those things. He's the greatest prophet ever. He says, but what about this crowd? What am I going to compare this crowd to? I don't know what games you played as a kid. Um, I played cops and robbers, cowboys and Indians, good guys, bad guys. Um, But apparently in the first century, uh, it was popular for the kids to play weddings and funerals. Right? A happy time and a sad time. Right? Because, I mean, these were the two social events that they would have uh, been familiar with. You know, everyone goes to the marketplace. That's where people hang out. And what do you see there? You see funerals and you see weddings. And so Jesus actually says this. And, and, and I believe that he uses the term children here specifically to abase the pride of the Pharisees and the lawyers. He says, what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. And you have to excuse, excuse me, but I have to use my bratty kid voice here, okay? They're like children in the marketplace calling out to, to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, a sad song, and you did not weep. And here's Jesus' explanation. He says, for John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. The son of man, right, a title for Jesus himself, he says, the son of man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, 
a friend of tax collectors and sinners. You see, the unbelief of the Pharisees left them unsatisfied with John the Baptist. John was an ascetic. John took a Nazarite vow. John didn't let any alcohol ever cross his lips. He never cut his hair. He didn't go to the feast and the parties that the Pharisees cared so much about. Luke actually tells us that the Pharisees loved to have the, the best seats at the feasts. And whenever, whenever the Pharisees heard John's message of repentance, they didn't like John's message. They didn't think that they had any need to repent. They say, John, John, why don't you just lighten up a little bit, right? They wanted him to have some fun, so they rejected John, and they said that he was demon-possessed. They played a, a flute for him. They played something that you'd play at a wedding. They played the flute for John, but John wouldn't dance to their tune. John was faithful to his message, and then Jesus comes, and, and what does he do? He does exactly the opposite. I mean, you would have thought that they would have loved Jesus, right? I mean, Jesus came preaching the good news of the kingdom. He ate and drank regularly with sinners and tax collectors, and even the Pharisees went invited. Jesus was full of joy. He loved to be around people. He loved to have compassion on people. But to the Pharisees and the lawyers, Jesus was too happy, too gracious, too merciful. You see, they wanted Jesus to put hard burdens on people that they couldn't keep, just like they did. And most importantly, they wanted Jesus to agree with them. He want, they wanted Jesus to agree with their self-righteous righteous religious system. But like John, Jesus would not bend to their will. Jesus only said the things that he heard his father say. And he was faithful to that message. So they rejected Jesus, and they called him a glutton and a drunkard. They played a dirge, they played a sad song, a funeral song for Jesus, but Jesus would not weep. And then Jesus concludes with this curious phrase. He says, but wisdom is justified by all her children. Right, so we have two groups of children here. We have the bratty children who are never satisfied, and we have another group of children who justify wisdom, right? Their mother. This word justify, it's used here, Right, where wisdom is being justified by the children of wisdom, and he also uses it whenever the crowds declared God just. They justified God. They said, yes, God, you are right. And so um, Jesus is essentially saying that the Pharisees and the lawyers were the bratty children who didn't understand uh, the purpose of God, so they rejected him. And remarkably, it was the tax collectors and the sinners who understood their need for a savior. So they received John the Baptist and they also received Jesus. And through repentance and faith in Jesus, the one who was to come, they entered God's kingdom as children of wisdom. You see, the wisdom of God's ways may seem foolish to the world, but a wise person will humbly see their need to turn from their sin and trust in Christ, and that's how you enter the kingdom of God, and that's how you experience the tremendous blessing of citizenship in God's kingdom. You know, Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, and the promise of the new covenant for those who are in the kingdom of God is that they will all know me from the least to the greatest, that he would forgive our iniquities and he would remember our sins no more. And church, I can tell you this morning that that is the greatest need that any human being will ever have, and Jesus was sent to satisfy that, satisfy that need. Bow your heads with me and let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you again, Father, for, for your word. And God, as, as, we, as we've just finished up uh, this sermon, God, we, we just want to just thank you, Father, for, um, just for recording these words in Scripture for us, God. And Father, we thank you that, that we can look back and at, at one who you called the greatest of them all and see that, that even strong believers like, like John the Baptist, it's possible for someone like John to struggle in his faith, God. It's possible for us also to struggle in our faith. And God, I just pray that you would help us, Father, as we do encounter doubts in our life, God, that we would be willing to acknowledge those doubts. Father, whenever there are things that we don't understand, that we would acknowledge those things, God, that we would take them back to you, trusting that you are a good and gracious and kind God. And Father, as you have done for me so many times, God, you will, you will allow me to come to stumble upon a discovery and your word that will answer a question that I've had lingering in my mind for, for some time. And God, though we may live in a world that is full of pain and injustice and hurt, and, and, and frankly, God, in a world that is filled with evil, and Father, we look around and, and sometimes we can become disillusioned like John, Father, and we, can, and we can think, how is this possible that there is such tremendous evil in this world? But God, I thank you that your word does also teach, Father, that, that, that the Lord Jesus Christ, that you will come back once again, God, and that you will inflict wrath and vengeance and that you will do away with every injustice and every wrong and every hurt on, on the day of God's vengeance, God. And I thank you that, that for those who are children of wisdom, who, who turn from their sin and trust in Christ, that we, that we will be excluded, God, from that. We, we will be safely uh, tucked away and held in Christ, Father, as you come back and do away with every injustice in this world. And God, we do look forward to a time, like Johnny Erickson Tata, whenever her body will work perfectly, God, to a time when you will do away with every disease and discomfort and, and pain, Father, that, that you will wipe away the tears from our eyes, Father. What a wonderful uh, time for us to look forward to, God, and, and we thank you that that day is coming. But Father, until that day comes, I pray that you would help us, God, that you would hold on to us tightly and you would help us to be faithful to your son and be faithful to your word until that day comes. In Jesus' name, amen.